from the book of Genesis, chapter 7, verses 16 to 8, 1. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heavens were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Okay. Let's pray. Father, we come to a text that is so terrifying. A text that says so much, so clearly, that our fleshy hearts don't want to hear. But Father, this word was given by your Holy Spirit. It is a record of a history that is undeniable. And it has been given for us to hear today to be made useful, to equip us, to warn us, to encourage us. So, Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say to the church today from this text. And anoint me, Father, by your Spirit, that I preach your word and not my own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Not even if I were the last person on earth, would I? You ever used that phrase or heard that phrase or perhaps asking a sweet girl to homecoming heard that phrase? <laughs> we, we have uh, made that a phrase in our, in our language. It's a way of saying that my opposition to something is so complete that if I had absolutely no other choice, if I were the last person standing, I still wouldn't. It's a good way of of saying no with great emphasis. The story that we have, the, the account of the flood, asks a question a little differently. 
If you were the last person on earth, would you still believe in God? If you were the last person, would you still be faithful? That is the question, that is the situation of the flood account. As we saw last week, the entire world had gone into depravity and extreme sinfulness, wickedness, and violence. So much so that God looked down upon his creation and there was only one person who he placed his favor upon. This text is not about an ancient problem. If we're aware of anything, if we have the the least bit of prophetic ability to look forward 5, 10, 15, or 20 years, we recognize that there is a path that the world around us is, is on that is going to make being a faithful Christian an extreme challenge. The church has hard times ahead. Individually, as Christians, there are hard times ahead. The workplace is making policies that are more and more uh, challenging to, to, to live with and be a faithful Christian. Society is making a stand for biblical truth perilous and even the path of being a pariah. And we are not far from that being reflected in the law itself. These are, are, are not me being a doomsayer. These are, these are simply things that anybody who is paying attention can see. The tide has gone against the church and the, the, the people who want to remain faithful to the gospel, to the word of God, are going into a period of extreme and scary Minority. We live in a world where being Christian will be more and more costly. And the pressure to bend and to compromise and to adapt and to evolve are going to be laid before us and before our children day after day. And the question that we will continually have placed in, the, in our mind as we pay a cost, is, is the cost worth it? Is the cost worth it? We're going to be making that calculation. All of us. And that is why the story of the flood is such an important thing for us to remember. It is a needed reminder and a call to perseverance. The flood that the Bible describes for us is not the flood that is popularized in the children's books and on the toy shelves where it's this beautiful menagerie of little animals in a boat. The story that we have in the scriptures is horrifying. It is an incalculable, terrifying event. And it is there because the entire world had fallen into irredeemable sin. We saw last week 
the situation that brought the flood. We saw that sin necessitates judgment because it defies God's boundaries. It defiles God's world. It desecrates God's image, and it grieves God's heart. When we recognize the seriousness of sin, we recognize that it is only a matter of time before judgment comes. And we have only to look to the beginning of our Bibles to know that that time has come in the past, and that time will come again. This week, the flood comes, and the flood destroys. But the hopefulness of this story is that the focus is far more on Noah, the one who found grace, than it is on the judgment. This is seen, if you, if you uh, look at the, at the flood narrative, and uh, uh, many scholars have recognized a, a structure in these three chapters, which is in, uh, in, uh, called a chiasm. And all that means is that we have uh, a story that kind of has these parallel statements that come into a center and have matching statements as you go out. It's kind of like uh, going up a mountain. You, you go through the similar places at each plateau, and then you go come back down to that plateau. But this, this structure has a center point, uh, a clear middle verse in uh, the account, and that is Genesis 8.1, which are the words, But God remembered Noah. As the center verse in this very special structure, that is the main point. That is the main message that God kept his eye, kept his grace upon Noah. And so if I were to tell you what I believe is the main point of this passage of the flood account is that judgment is coming, but Noah shows us that God will save his faithful remnant. Now, remnant might not be a word that you use very often. It's just another way of saying the remainder. But it is a, a, a teaching throughout scriptures that God's people are the remnant. And so when we talk about the remnant, we are talking about God's people in the world. This text, beloved, is a great warning for those who look at compromising with the world. But at the same time, it is great encouragement to remain faithful to God, even if you're the last person on earth. And so this passage places in front of us the most critical question. When judgment comes, will you be counted as part of God's remnant? We're going to look at at, at this idea of the remnant through three questions in the text. We're going to first see who is God's remnant, and then we're going to see how is God's remnant delivered, and third, what do God's remnant receive? I believe at the end of going through these questions, we will see there is only one choice, no matter how hard it is. The choice is that we must remain faithful. Now let us look at this first question. But first, let's read some of chapter 6, verses uh, 9 to 22. And I'm, I'm uh, for the sake of condensing it, uh, skipping over a couple verses. But Genesis 6, 9, we read, These are the generations of Noah. 
Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, for behold... I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Who is God's remnant? The answer in these verses is simple. It is all who are trusting in the Lord. Who is God's remnant? It is all who are trusting in the Lord. We see this uh, prelude to the flood where God has set his favor alone upon Noah as he has surveyed the sinfulness of the world. All of the world is under judgment. It is all wicked. It is all violent except one. One person finds grace. That one person is Noah. He is the remnant. He is God's people in the world at that time. It is Noah alone. He is the entirety of those trusting in the Lord. Noah shows something to us about God's remnant as we look at a future that may appear bleak. There are three things that you can learn from this passage about the remnant through Noah. One, the remnant is marked by obedience. Second, the remnant are persevering to the end. And third, the remnant is often the minority. I want us to see each of those in a little bit more uh, detail. They are marked by obedience. The remnant is marked by obedience. How How do we see that in the text? Noah believes God. He walks with God. And how do we know that Noah believes in God and walks with God? Well, he has a piece of paper in his Bible that says he does. No, that's not what the text tells us. We know he believes God because he follows God's commands. When God says, build the ark, we see Noah's faith build the ark. Noah's faith is seen in doing. This is what the uh, author of uh, Hebrews uh, says when he he cites Noah in the chapter of faith. He says in Hebrews 11, 7, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Recognize that the remnant are the faithful. The faithful are not just those people who have said in their past, I made a decision. I walked an aisle. I went to camp. 
Noah shows us that the remnant are the faithful, those walking, living, obeying God. It is not just a decision, but a life. And that is why River has stressed as our purpose statement that we seek to be people who live in and live out the good news of Jesus. Because we believe firmly from the scriptures that you cannot truly be living in the gospel if it is a gospel that you are not living out. If it does not form and change your life, the question needs to be pressed. Are you believing it and living in it? Second, we recognize that it is the, the remnant that is persevering to the end. In uh, Genesis 7-5, the last thing before the waters come, Noah gets in the boat, and the words are, and he did all that the Lord had commanded him, including getting in the boat. So what we're told here is that all the way up to the very end is what God sees as faithful perseverance, as being the remnant. If Noah had built the ark... And then said, you know what? I just, I think it's a bit silly to get in the thing. That had been the end of Noah. Noah is saved because his faith perseveres to the end. It goes all the way to the first raindrop. This is so important because up until that moment, there was no sign of a flood. Here's what Jesus says of, of, of the situation in Luke 17, 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. You recognize getting in the boat was just as much a, a step of faith, not sight, as anything else that Noah had done. On that very day, there were weddings and birthday parties and revelry. There was nothing about that last day that marked it as the last day to anybody just looking at the way things were going. But Noah shows us that the remnant, those who are true believers, Finish in the faith. And this is, this is a, an issue that I believe much preaching in the church today has led to confusion. There is a tragic ignorance about what is saving faith. It's not have you ever believed, have you ever said yes. It's are you believing now? Are you continuing to believe? Are you finishing faithful? The Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19 makes this point. There were people in the church who had gone out, who had, had to said, you know, I, I believe. And then they came to a place where they said, you know what? I really don't like the direction of all of this, and I'm going to leave. I'm going to go back to the way I was. John's words to them is that they were never ever truly one of us because if they were one of us they would have never left us the teaching of saving faith is a persevering faith a finishing faith 
That is who the remnant are. They are the ones who believe to the day of the first raindrop. And they're often the minority. Noah walks with God alone. He is the most unpopular dude in the world. Everybody looks at him as odd. Do you recognize... This, this was a hundred years. We, we meet Noah at the age of 500, and the flood doesn't happen until he's 600. He builds the ark in a desert with no rains that were of any concern to anyone. Noah spent a hundred years as a fool in the eyes of the world, as a joke, as a laughingstock for believing that God wanted him to build a boat. That is what he was. He was the only one. And we need to recognize that this happens a lot in God's story of redemption. The faithful can become an incredibly small minority. In the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, it's only Lot. In the story of Elijah... And the, and the apostasy of Israel is only Elijah and 7,000 in all of Israel who have not bowed the knee. In Jesus' own ministry, after he had fed the 5,000 and taught them, the disciples just start going away until it is just the 12. The faithful remnant is often a minority. And this is a huge tactic that Satan loves to use. He wants you to count noses to decide whether this belief is worth believing or not. The cost becomes too high when when everybody but you believes this. Satan wants the whole world to look to make you feel like a fool. There are hard times ahead. I read articles almost weekly of churches and Christian schools and pastors compromising, trying to remove the stigma of the foolishness that they are starting to bear. There is a sifting coming. The question is, are you going To persevere, are you going to remain faithful no matter how small you become as the minority? And here's why I say you must. Because if the whole world is against Noah, Noah still has one person with him. Noah has God. God has placed his grace upon Noah and everybody who is in the remnant, who is faithful, regardless of how uh, uh, terrifying they are in the the, uh, public opinion, no matter how minority they may represent, they have a covenant with God. God says to Noah, I establish my covenant, my promise to deliver you. And everybody who is claimed Christ, God has said, I have made my promise to save you. And so Noah by himself has God. And if God is with us, beloved, let the whole world 
be against you. I remind you of the passage in 2 Kings chapter 7 where the prophet Elisha is, is up in a tree with a, with a servant and this army, uh, invading army of, of swords and spears and angry faces surround Elisha and his servant. And it is a terrifying sight. They are outnumbered hundreds to one, thousands to one. But Elisha prays that the eyes of his servant would be opened to see the true battlefield. And as the the, the Lord answers that prayer, the servant's eyes are now able to see the Lord's hosts, the Lord's armies populating and crowding all of the mountains and hills, more fearsome and uncountable. And it was when he was able to see that he was on the side of the army that could not be defeated that his faith was mustered. Beloved, that is what the faithful remnant has no matter how many you see against you. The armies of heaven stand at your side. So who is God's remnant? All who are trusting the Lord. But second... How are they delivered? How are they delivered? Let us continue in the passage and look at uh, verses uh, in chapter 7, starting in verse 11 and going to verse 24. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the mountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. And rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark flooded on the face, and the the ark floated on the face of the waters. God blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things, and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those who were with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed on the earth. 150 days. So the second question, how are they delivered? Answer, safely. How are the remnant delivered? Safely. Here we see the the full horror of the flood. The, the, the ground breaks open in springs and the skies pour down water faster than you can possibly imagine. The image is, is, is horrifying. To spend any time on it will, will put you in the fetal position. But this is inescapable judgment. I, 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 I hate to uh, uh, press on your PTSD, but I know many of you have faced a flood. And that flood is something that you watch coming for you and you eventually just relent. I cannot escape. I cannot get away from it. 
This flood is faster and more fearsome than any flood that we know, and it takes no prisoners. It was inescapable. It was rapid. The waters rose, and there was nowhere to go. There was nowhere to hide. There was nowhere to escape. The waters went 15 cubits over the tallest mountain. You know that there were people running up the hills trying to get to the top, and the water kept going. And it got everything. Verse 21 All is said three times. All, all, all. There was nowhere to go. Every single living thing was taken by the flood. This text is written, though, graciously for our warning. Because this text is there to remove all doubt that God will judge the earth and to let us know that someday another greater judgment is coming. Listen to what the Apostle Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. We know this will happen because we cannot blame, we, we, we have no excuse. We know it has happened once. All of the earth is taken with the flood. But Noah, only Noah, verse 23, only Noah, Noah is safe. The Lord shuts him in the ark. And as we read this terrifying deluge and we, and we imagine all of the grief and anguish and, and death, we're told that Noah's ark floats safely on the face of the waters. The only people that survive, the only people that are safe are in the ark. God's remnant is preserved above the judging waters of God. And this, again, is for our counsel. As the Apostle Peter says in his first letter, chapter 3, verse 20, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight persons were brought safely through water, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, 
but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Beloved, it was only those who were in the ark when the flood came that were saved. That is the entire list of survivors. Peter wants us to recognize that God has provided a second, better ark to this world that is also facing a certain judgment. That ark is the gospel. That ark is the salvation of Jesus Christ. When Peter says baptism, which corresponds to this, he is saying it is those who are uh, putting their faith resting fully in Jesus Christ, the one who died and rose again, it is those that will be delivered. Beloved, the, the worst picture of judgment is not found in Genesis 6, 7, and 8. It is found at the crucifixion. The crucifixion is our judgment. It is the waters that overwhelmed our Lord, but it is because he died for our sins and rose again that those who claim him are delivered from the coming judgment. Christ is the better ark. He provides the greater deliverance. Those who are in him cannot die because they have resurrection life. Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you found the ark that will save you from the next judgment by placing yourself fully in Christ? Understand that just like it was being in the ark that saved Noah and his family, it is those who put themselves in Christ that will be saved. It is not the people that put a a gentle hand next to Christ and say, This guy over here, they are going to be the people who live in Christ, who confess him as Lord and Savior, who know themselves only through Christ. That is the people that Christ delivers. And so let me ask you, are you in Christ? Believe in him. He will deliver you safely from judgment and present you blameless to God. Now let us continue the story as we move into chapter 8. eight one. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the water subsided. Noah waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove, out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening. And behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth, And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth 
had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by families from the ark. So the third question, what does the remnant receive? Answer, the new creation. What does the remnant receive? They receive the new creation. After the flood had wiped out all that was living, we read in 8.1, but God remembered Noah. Remembered does not mean that God was absent-minded and distracted with all the other stuff that he was doing. Remembered means that he is bringing to pass the promise that he made with Noah before the flood. He is fulfilling the covenant. You see, God remembered Noah because his judgment is finished. And now God begins to push the waters away. God is giving Noah new creation. Genesis 8 brings us back to Genesis 1. There are numerous echoes that, 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 that uh, connect the two together. We, we see that it is the wind on the face of the waters, just like we see the Spirit of God in Genesis 1-2. The word wind and spirit are the same in Hebrew. We see the, the, the appearance of dry land. Then we hear the description of vegetation. Finally, God brings the animals back to the creation. And the words, be fruitful and multiply. You see, at the, at the end of Genesis 8, we have a new creation. Sin and, and wickedness having been blotted out. Now God has a creation where his peace and blessing returns. And this is perfectly symbolized by the fact that a fresh olive leaf is brought to Noah by a dove. God, at the end of the flood, has made creation new again. And who receives this new creation? Who inherits it? The remnant. Noah and the ark. They are the inheritors of the earth. Not the wicked. Not the treacherous. Not the violent. Not the backstabbers. The the ones who were in the ark, they inherit the earth. And Noah's inheritance is written for us as encouragement to all who trust in the Lord. As, as Peter says in his second letter, chapter 3, verse 13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Beloved, those who are in Christ, who has placed themselves in the ark of Christ's salvation, are heirs 
of an even greater creation. Paul, who has got no limitation in terms of, of expressing himself, instead, when he talks about the glory of the new creation in front of us, simply says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. The new creation, the new heavens, and the new earth defy our ability to articulate in the language that we have simply because it's too wonderful to express. And yet that is our inheritance. So as we look at this this passage of the flood and we see God's working through the remnant, who is God's remnant? All who trust in the Lord. How are they delivered? Safely. And what do they receive? New creation. Peter again has the right words to conclude this this passage. In 2 Peter 2, verse 4, he says, For if God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. As you face a future of challenge and its fair share of threats, Hold on to these words. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the righteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Beloved, you are asked every day to count the cost in this world. So let me help you count the cost. Compromise can make life easier for a year or a decade or even a generation. But when the end comes, will it be worth forfeiting eternity? That is what the story of Noah says. It is those who remain trusting in the Lord that receive the new creation, so also and more so with Christ. Beloved persevere. God's saving only Noah from a sinful world is a call to live by faith in Jesus Christ, not by sight, but by faith. As Paul told the Corinthians in, chapter, in, in, in his second letter, chapter 4 through 17, for this light momentary affliction, which is descriptive of anything that you may suffer in comparison to eternity, This light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Take hold of Christ. Do not let him go. 
He will deliver you safely into glory. Amen?